The millennials, Gen Z, they are participating uh, in one aspect or another of crowdfunding, of alt. And I think for them to blindly go on the stock market, they didn't have the comfort that, say, you know, many of us with a bit of gray hair or no hair, you know, on this call has where the market just boomed kind of in the 80s or 90s, a little hiccup around 9-11 and the tech boom and then boomed again. You know, a lot of folks did pretty well over, say, the formative years of our life. The younger folks have it way differently, which I think the youth will provide some education to our generation as we get older collectively, which will lead to more dollars shifting into the alt side. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Rundown. You know, it's not often we get a Wall Street insider on the show that's going to help us understand some of the things that are played in the game that aren't to our advantage and how to really maximize that advantage for us. And today, the guest we have is a gentleman by the name of Dan Krasinowski, who has spent time on Wall Street and now has made it his mission to help people use their self-directed IRAs to own real estate, to own assets, and to really make a difference. So Dan, welcome to the show. Awesome, Shannon. It's great to be here. And you know, for our folks, congratulations. We made it through 2023 and time flies. I got to tell you, brother, it's been a good 10 months since we last saw each other in person. And you know, we'll see each other soon coming up in the new year. So I'm really excited to be here today. So Dan, let's just start with a little bit of your experience. I mean, you've actually been on Wall Street. You've actually been involved in the machine that a lot of us work against in, in you know, layman's terms. We help people get their money off of Wall Street, invest in Main Street, do the things that are necessary to truly create wealth. What, where did your career start and where did that take you? Yeah, Greg. So, you know, grew up in Scranton, PA, like many of us Gen Xers probably had parents that were had some sort of pension, you know, what did their nine to five maxed out very different than I feel you and I are frankly, our grandparents growing up in the depression. So with this as a background, I found myself at Wharton for undergrad, of course, graduated, went right to Wall Street, as many of us do. And, you know, for a good part of a decade, I blindly followed the process. You know, I did my four or five years on Wall Street, a uh, bit more hair back then, you know, and such. Had a good time, and but I was trading. I was on the equity side of things, equity derivatives, trading ABC, XYZ. You know, in hindsight, it really didn't mean that much. It wasn't very tangible. You're just trading paper and a little bit of delta here and there. Post MBA, I did my master's at Thunderbird. I was with GE Capital. So, you know, for us younger folks, GE was kind of the Google of a, you know, generation or century ago, a top company, but very, as you can imagine, very top down. It used to be the GE dividend was a big deal at the time and the GE stock at the time. And I always had an inkling though, even going through 2009, 2008, that there was more than say, as an investor, particularly with your retirement, the Fidelity, you know, year 2050 target fund. So I was very fortunate to have a taste of Austin back in 07, 08, and then, you know, find myself down here on a short trip where, you know, as I say, keep Austin weird, but it's also been like that on the investment side. So, you know, some of it was just very situational. To be honest with you, if I stayed in a cushy job in the Northeast, we probably would not be talking right now. And I would just assume that my 60-40 stock portfolio was going to magically, you know, work out. You know, and this is the thing, and I don't understand it fully either, but it's, you know, we believe that the system was built for us to succeed, you know, and we follow it. And you said blindly, and I don't doubt that a lot. You know, we go to school, we go to college, we do, uh, we, we invest in our 401ks or our, you know, pension plans. And we do those things because that's what we're told to do and we're taught to do. And as you have now 
been on both sides of that table, you've seen that it doesn't always become the most advantageous. But, you know, it's interesting to me. I mean, we see advertisers spend thousands and thousands of dollars a second for Coke ads and for Nike ads. And yet we don't think that the Wall Street machine has done the same and we hook, line and sinker that stuff. But, you know, now that you're out on the other side of that and you're seeing what that's looking like, what are some of the small fundamental changes that you see when an investor takes their investments into their own hands, they start thinking for themselves, doing for themselves, exploring for themselves and finding their own solutions. What are you seeing that does in the overall scheme of things in it and in their wealth creation? You know, I think first of all, it's on a personal note. I mean, I had a great breakfast this morning with a doctor here in Austin and he pretty much said no more. I'm not doing the full hours. I might not even do half time. I, I will, like she said, I will burn out. And then financially, I don't know if I would even get there or eventually I would get there, but my kids will be in college. What's, you know, what's the point of all this? So I think first and foremost, folks realize that the reason to be a passive investor or to play in the alt is to control your schedule, to control your time and or to supplement, to get to a certain goal faster. So I think a big part of it is empowerment, both in terms of times and dollars. And then secondly, something as basic as come tax time, you know, instead of getting this big, or I should say relatively simple W-2, okay, you know, your taxes that play back to your nine to five job, you, you get to see the write-offs and everything else that kind of goes in with it. And the big proof point for me was one of my real early, I know we go to a lot of conferences, family office shows where, you know, very much in front of an open crowd, every family on stage said, you know, less than 10% of my stuff is publicly traded. You know, we, we are wealthy, not now, but for prior generations and future generations and tend to be wealthy from private investments and primarily in real estate. So for me, that was the super big proof point that says, okay, you know, these folks know what they're doing here. Well, and you know, it's funny because if you're in, involved in active trading on Wall Street, there's a lot of people that do day trading and they make a good living at it and they do that kind of stuff. And then, you know, there's massive portfolios on Wall Street that do the same thing. But, you know, every time you make a profitable trade in Wall Street, there's little or no tax protection. Right. So, I mean, you've got to think that if if I take and invest one hundred dollars and I, I make 50 bucks, that's going to apply to ordinary income for me. So that's taxed at upwards of 30 percent in most of our cases. And then you look at that and you say, I can't leverage that. Right. My hundred dollars is only my hundred dollars. I might get a margin account. Right. Where I mean, the average American might get what? Twenty percent margin. So, so now your $100 becomes 120, which means instead of 50, you can make 60, but you're still paying 37%. So at the end of the day, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be, right? Where when you look at real estate, you can get, you know, 60, 70% traditional, normal. I'm not talking about 21 and 22. I'm talking about the last three decades. You can get 60 to 70% leverage. You can then do tax strategies and preferential treatment that allow you to do things like that, that minimize your tax re return uh, and minimize the amount of income you're paying tax on, also reduces your rate of how you pay taxes based on the duration that you hold it. But all of those things can be done outside of any retirement vehicle or anything like that. Why is it that you think, Dan, that a lot of people just ignore all of that and say, nah, I'm going to give my money to somebody else. I'm going to let them deal with it. 
Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, one's identity gets caught up. And for me, it's easy from being on Wall Street and my work and buddies when I say, well, you know, what do you invest in? They're like, well, we, I'm like, no, not the we, you, the $10 billion private equity side, you, the guy that probably still makes a million a year. You know, good point. I have a buddy down here and he was with one of the early venture shops here in Austin. And it amazes me that his day-to-day was involved in venture, but his retirement and he was already in his 50s, so he's approaching that magic number, 59 and a half, when you can pull out without penalty. It was still in mutual funds. And I'm like, you know, try to crack him over the head. Like, what, what's going on here? So I think some of it's from an identity perspective. And I, the other is just the action, the set it and forget it. it. It amazes me how many folks have an orphaned account, sometimes not just from their 20s, but from their 30s or 40s, that's sitting somewhere, probably half in cash and half in you know, a bond fund seemed attractive at the time 15 years ago. And it just kind of sits there. And folks really think, well, that I, I think that ultimately folks don't view this as one life. It's two very separate points. And first of all, you got to get to age 60. And then thereafter, you have to hope that the principal and such is still there. So, you know, I get it. The stock market generally goes up. But, you know, people, when they do dip their toes in every five or 10 years, they tend to trade at the bottom. They're not, you know, they're not buying low, selling high. They're doing the reverse. So a lot of folks shoot themselves in the foot and then they think they can make it back. And it's just a horrific situation. But ultimately, I think to your earlier comment, it has never behooved the Fidelities and Schwabs of the world to offer this product. I know they have attempted at times, but it's just slightly complicated from, to your point, a big picture ad that comes between a Nike and a Coke commercial. Yeah. You know, and the thing that I look at is, so often we as humans want the easy button, right? We want to be able to say, well, I have an advisor that does that, right? I've got a personal trainer that's going to make me look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not the personal trainer. It's my efforts. Now, the personal trainer might be an accountability factor, right? But so often when it comes to our investing, we don't even do that, right? We just shovel money over into an account and we trust that our advisor is doing the smartest thing for it without ever check chat tracking what is he taught to do how does that philosophy line up with what is best for me right uh, and and then what are the results that i'm getting we're just i've listened to people complain year after year that their financial advisor keeps talking about this year's going to be the year this year we're going to see the returns i know we've had some of this and i know there's fees involved but you know the reality of all of that is that we don't want to take responsibility. Like you said, there's two lives and we don't want to take responsibility for our finances, but we can absolutely bet that Wall Street's not going to take responsibility for ensuring that we have a retirement that we had envisioned, right? And so how do you look at getting people to break out of that mindset of I'm going to let them do it to I'm actually smart enough to do it myself and I have a hell of a lot more invested in this than my guy at one of the big firms or even, you know, your local guy that, you know, is a wealth manager. How do you help people? You know, half the time is just asking them, because we're talking about two buckets here, your cash and your retirement. So for me, and this is just, you know, almost dumb luck, I ask folks, well, what do you do with your cash? Or tell me about, where'd you go this weekend? Oh, I went to my beach house or we have a rental. Uh, I'll refer back to my breakfast this morning with the doctor. Well, you know, we have a short-term rental for tax purposes. How's it doing? Well, actually, it's doing pretty well and it's cash flowing. You know, we expect to sell this. This will be a double-digit gain. I'm like, okay, how's your retirement? You know, I'm a little scared to even look at it. Okay, 
So all else equal, even if assuming it wasn't too scary to look at retirement, you know, typical 60-40 or call it even an all equity, let's say this was in your retirement bucket. You know, wouldn't it be nice to get double digits off real estate that, you know, you, your retirement is managing or somebody that you're close with that you write a passive investment check to that you can check in? Because last time I checked, I really can't call Coke or Nike's headquarters or Merrill Lynch to say, hey, guys, saw the stock went down a dollar today. Let's have a chat. Let's talk about some accountability over here, guys. (laughs) I mean, come on. What, are we not pushing enough product? We have another market we need to expand Coke into? Guys, let's get after this, right? I, I heard the moon is opening up pretty soon or Mars. So, you know, who knows? You know, but it's but you've got such a great point there, you know, that there's a disconnect, right? And I know that we, again, as humans, we don't like to encounter the pain, right? David Goggins' book, you know, he talks about embracing the suck, you know, and there's not a lot of us that want to do that. But, and, and I think the fallacy is that it's hard, right? That it's going to be difficult to manage our own. We've got a full-time job. We've got kids going every direction. We've got a career. We've got all of our social groups. We've got all these things that we want to do. And we don't really want to take care of one more thing. But if we don't, that one more thing will never take care of us, right? And it's amazing, you know, not just our coupon clippers or, you know, grandma that's looking for the best certificate of deposit rate, but it's amazing how some folks will micro-focus on a certain portion of their current liquidity, their cash, kind of like a spirit of analysis paralysis vis-a-vis the big picture. Or as I said, you know, they'll take an action and an old fraternity brother I'll call up and they'll send them a check for 5K for their next restaurant idea. It's like, okay, where's that going? Kind of nowhere. Well, I get to write it off. It's like, okay, well, you're losing money, <laughs> you know, to kind of make this clear. You had to make light it on fire to be able to write it off. And let's say, you know, this, we'll say somebody that does have expertise, like a VC, it's like, okay, you have a decent eye for startup. Well, if you think this is the next Facebook, you know, you know, think of a Peter Thiel, you know, with PayPal, why not use a Roth account? So you don't pay tax, why pay taxes? So the other analogy I use, which is helpful is I say, well, here's the, especially I think kind of working with a Roth conversion, people kind of get, and they can see, well, do you want to pay taxes on the little seed or the big forest? And I do the seed versus tree and that forest analogy to say, okay, you can even use your Roth now in stuff that you probably have a spirit of expertise if you're investing passively. Myself, way back when I was part of a prop tech company in self-storage before storage was the hot niche. That served me extremely well to earn, you know, 30 plus IRRs in my Roth portion of my retirement. You know, it also helped on the cash side. Don't get me wrong, but I view to say, well, what am I comfortable doing on the cash side? Why? And it's a sponsor I know, like, and trust that I can call, that I can find, you know, vis-a-vis kind of a diversified sort of fund out there. So for me, it's becoming more of a, the one thing I think that is in the favor though, is that the millennials, Gen Z, they are participating uh, in one aspect or another of crowdfunding, of alts where, and I think for them to blindly go in the stock market, I they didn't have the comfort that say, you know, many of us with a bit of gray hair or no hair, you know, on this call has where the market just boomed kind of in the 80s or 90s, a little hiccup around 9-11 and the tech boom and then boomed again. You know, a lot of folks did pretty well over, say, the formative years of our life. The younger folks had it way differently, which, you know, ultimately, you know, I think the youth will provide some education to our generation as we get older collectively, which will lead to more dollars shifting into the alt side. Well, and then let's talk about, you know, let's say you did set it up wrong. You know, let's say you did a traditional, right? And you've got money in your traditional just because you started wrong. Does that mean you got to continue to leave it in a traditional IRA or is there ways to solve that problem now? 
No, there's many aspects. And, and, you know, wrong is always a unique statement. In some ways, well, you know, I put 5K in my buddy's startup idea. All else equal, the best money to lose is traditional pre-tax IRA money because you never pay taxes on it. Now, that should, I'm not saying that's a strategy, of course. Or, <laughs> you know, it's finding the bright side in a dark event. It, it, it is. And then, you know, on the other side, too, it's also the flip side. Well, I, I feel pretty versed or... All else equal, you know, this hundred that's in traditional or it's, let's say it was 50 and 10 years later, it's a hundred, even if this was in stocks or funds over time. Well, you know, maybe I can two X, you know, I can get to two X in the next decade because my buddy does this thing called notes and it seems pretty good, kind of this 10%. And I conceptually understand sign a mortgage before, you know, mortgage senior debt, you know, LP equity and kind of this middle stack, especially in our real estate world that we're seeing kind of in the promissory, you know, press equity, whatever you want to call it, kind of that middle class that, you know, even when stuff hits the fan and deals, they're probably going to sell where the senior and the promissory gets back. Maybe a little tough cookies for the equity. But my point here is that if your goal is actually the Roth conversion, at any time you can do it. Yes, you will pay a little bit now, but so as long, especially if you don't lose that principle over time, it's really going to work out in your favor in the future. Hey guys, real quick. If you're enjoying this show, I want to ask you to please give us a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to right now. Leaving us a rating and review takes just a few seconds, and it's a great way to show your support for our show. Your support helps us reach more listeners and create better content. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Now let's get back to the show. Well, and it's also one of those things that timing has something to do with it, right? I mean, it's, you know, if you're having the best year ever, probably not the best year to do that conversion also right? But looking at some of those things, I mean, you know, it's, again, it's a strategy game, but it's not that hard, right? It, it isn't. And, you know, for folks that have, there's a lot of ways to go out, especially if, you know, collectively you're transitioning from a W-2 to a 1099, you're in a whole different world of write-offs. You know, everything from the weight of your car can significantly impact what your net tax rate is. So, you know, you can get pretty negative in a healthy way via raw conversion in a good way, or you know, a second situation for all of us, many of us that have started up a company, you're zero, you tend to really not take much salary. So, you know, you want to hit that magic, whatever your number is from a conversion, you know, the 200, the 300 range is looking good. And then finally, it's just part of your financial plan where, you know, we're going to bang up 50K a year for the next five years or 10 years. And that's just what we pay on now because we can afford to do so. And, you know, you talked about and in your early years in Wall Street, you know, you were trading on small margins and you were doing a lot, you know, but you were doing with large volume, you know, and, you know, you've done something similar in your business where over the last 18 months, you've talked to 500 people, sponsored syndicators. What was, I mean, were you just looking for a small nugget from each one? I mean, was that kind of the same thing? Do the numbers? I mean, that's a person a day and working weekends. What did you, what were you getting out of that? Yeah, I think it, one is just how I'm wired and it's a natural interest. And, and otherwise, I think everybody, you know, legitimately has what I call um, a superpower here that you can learn from. And, you know, it wasn't literally one a day, like people that do their 10 push-ups or otherwise, but some of it, you know, a few liberties in the number, but to be honest with you, I'd say at least was a, a legit 15 minute conversation, you know, best ever conference where we met, I would say you can include a good 10 new people in addition to other folks that I knew almost each day that I was there that I purposely wanted to sit with. And there's a lot of things to learn. Our, you know, our friends that kindly sponsor some of these events around the tables at the events, there's a, cause they're going to have domain 
expertise in the asset class, in the real estate. There's a great one pretty close to me, but in the Texas Hill Country, and their duration was 25 years, which seems silly, but you think of, well, it's wine, something's with farmland. You're like, all right, that's a unique play. And then you can roll it back a little more. And in addition, here's some other tax benefits. You're like, oh, I get why you're at a type of show like this. So, you know, and then a lot of this is just, these are little nuggets because I think ultimately what we're talking to investors are, I think theme of our call is folks, at least considering that there is another side of the rainbow here, you know, not being an expert, but knowing, you know, I talked to two or three people that, you know, you like mineral rights. This can actually be really much in your favor. Let me see if I can connect you. Well, and that's, you know, I, I was just talking with somebody else about, you know, when my son decided he wanted to explore his options in real estate and he was, you know, 22 years old and had the fresh face that comes with that. You know, Dan, you remember that face, right? The thing that I told him was connect with everyone. Right. I mean, I don't care if it's the guy repairing dishwashers or other realtors or mortgage people or, you know, whatever it is, because having just like you were talking about having that connection to others allows you to connect others through that. And then people look at that and go, hey, you know what? I need to call Dan. I haven't talked to him in a while. I want to see what he's up to. Oh, is it mineral rights now? What's he exploring? What's he know about? Because being able to be knowledgeable to a, you know, to, to a minor degree on a lot of things allows you to give people opportunities to connect on things that they may have more interest in, but it also gives them that connection back to you. And, you know, people, people like to know that, hey, you know what, I can always call Dan because he knows a lot of people and he's able to do that. But when you're talking about, you know, self-directed IRAs and you're talking about those kind of things, I mean, you know, the world opens up and, and I know that a lot of people only not only, but primarily think about using their self-directed IRA for real estate. But as you continue to mention the alts and the things like that, you know, you've mentioned notes already. What are some of the other investments that you've seen people invest their IRAs in other than the fraternity buddy's new restaurant? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, you know, a quick blanket answer is, and I'll answer it two ways, is what you cannot do. You know, similar to, I'll give you an analogy with the health savings account, you, your kid breaks their arm, you can use your HSA card, you know, you want to buy a Tesla, sorry, that's not really covered under the health side. Uh, you know, same deal here, no life insurance, no collectibles, not yourself or your linear family. What does that refer to? Well, you know, your kid has a startup idea, you can't go there. The beach house, your parents can't stay there on the weekend. Everything else, cannabis is still a little bit of a gray area. Everything else is pretty much in play, which is fantastic. So, you know, as I think about it, this is kind of where I think head and heart comes. Our folks say, you know, I've had a good career. I have a million dollars in my 401k. My house is paid. My kids are out of college. I want to start giving back. Well, let's say, you know, you have an affinity, as we say, you know, female entrepreneurs, the other side, folks on the other side of the tracks, your investment over there will replay and reshuffle multiple times over. And you have this huge pocket of money that can go into it. So, you know, I said, I've had great success as an investor, not even angel equity, but angel loans, like true day zero loans. And no surprise, guess what? You know, the females tend to actually pay and they're more responsible and a better credit. So just saying, and no, but that's been actually very impactful for me. I'm fortunate to still mentor about to about 50 mentor calls a year through Capital Factory, probably invest with the company or two I do have sincere respect for the true, you know, literal and figurative immigrant sort of mindset of somebody that has, you know, an impactful idea of 
well, here's how life's going to get better for folks in Ukraine when this ever stops. Wow. Okay. Like I get it. That's more still on the startup side, but you know, other things too, private loans is pretty solid. Uh, crypto is in play, you know, obviously do your diligence on that. Could you still use your self-directed for stocks and bonds? Yes, you could. That's a question ultimately you get asked. It's an account. It's a security. I see a lot of times it's folks that's either in their public niche. So, you know, a doctor might invest in a you know, an established cash flowing biotech company, for example, or other folks, I have to say they moonlight here and they follow something unique. And as I said, the nice thing here is it's not just going into a stock or into a startup world with, especially in the US with all the different convertible notes and everything. It's kind of a zoo. And frankly, it's very challenging to make money. But once again, you have expertise, you're helping some old colleagues, they have a very established and maybe you're taking a revenue share. So my point here is you're also gonna be a little creative in the structure of what you're investing into. You know, obviously have some be a lawyer, play lawyer, et cetera, a little bit, do some diligence here. But I, I think it does come back to, especially as we get to our later stage in life, or kind of where head and heart is and who you want to benefit. And yeah, pretty much a whole lot of things are in play. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like you said, rather to lose, you know, money to a cause or money that, for, to something that you believe in, startup or otherwise, where you can be able to take advantage of that because, you know, especially if you're in a traditional, right, you put the money in there, it's pre-tax, you do a deal in a startup based on a cause. If the cause, it's not that the cause is going to go away, but if the idea doesn't work and the product doesn't happen, better to have done it out of that account than to have done it with the, I'm going to eat money, right? And so, you know, looking at all those things and all those things you mentioned, what's the most surprising slash crazy investment or heard of somebody making out of that? Yeah, no, this is fun. And there's two kind of, I just want to close on your comment on the head and heart. I, I have a good friend, we went to Wharton together. He focuses on a, a school with kind of a new age sort of method. So here's just going back where I think it's so important to consider these two buckets of money on the retirement side. Let's say I cut him a check when I was 40 years old. I don't intend to touch that money for 20 years. This is a very long-term play. It's almost like a very slow-played consulting model at the end of the day. It's students times tuition. There is a real estate piece and more into it. But my point here is that would I do this with my, my current money, my cash? Probably not because I know it's going to be a 10 to 15, 20-year play. But boy, is it exciting and fun to do. You know, here, and there's other benefits of the community, the investor community, even though it's my RA, it's still me, the individual. The one thing, and it goes back to real estate, you know, I met, a, I was fortunate in my early days at Rock the Dollar to meet a few pilots. And much like being a senior in high school, when you're 59 years old, you're the cool kid because you're about to retire or be kind of pushed out here. And, you know, one gentleman I met, a great fella, said, well, you know, that's me. Personally, I bought a condo here in my retirement, my million dollars here. Let me roll it into a self-directed and buy you know, four condos up and down the street. So although he could not personally benefit to stay in these other four, he didn't need to. He could not personally change light bulbs. He didn't need to, he had a maintenance person, but he can collect the checks and know that his retirement's assets were right here in front of him. You know, If he ever had that gut feel like, you know, a hurricane, it's coming, man. It's gonna come every year for 10 years. His retirement could have sold that and turned around and, you know, been in some of the notes with some of our buddies here at 10 or 12%. And, and I have seen the same person diversify in that spirit. So, you know, not super crazy, but I think that's just a kind of a cool story that this guy flies over this and plays the island and somewhat very stereotypical pilot story here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan, what is some of the pitfalls that you see people should be looking at 
when they're talking about the retirement money that maybe people won't normally think about? Yeah. You know, first and foremost, I think it's, you know, are you on state not to over contribute? You know, it's funny when I was at my early days of GE, I just think how the calendar or however things played out, I actually went over my contribution and the way things were set up. It wasn't obvious to me. There wasn't an email. There wasn't a text to say, you know, you maxed out your 18 or 19 or whatever it was. And I get these things in an envelope that are, you know, they are bearer bonds, but they feel that way to me. They're treasury sort of things that it, it seemed very antiquated and weird. But my point is that I went too far, not often, but once or twice in my career where you actually went over the limit just from a contribution standpoint, when maybe at a certain stage of life or career, it could have been better to be liquid and have cash over here. Now, on the other side of the coin is I know a lot of folks might say, oof, markets are tough. Even if I'm an alt investor, I'm going to sit in cash. You know, one, you might be in a cash account earning zero. Please don't do that now. And, you know, you know, when you look at the real interest rate, how things may or may not play out. And I think we're in a relatively from a rates perspective, plus or minus 100 bips. But it's just my personal opinion here. But also it's, you know, be aware of inflation and certain things that you're not way behind. So I think always having, being aware of your personal portfolio allocation, having money in use, I, I do feel, and this is where I love kind of that middle stack of promissory notes, note investing, things that generally have either a redemption or I think more so just a quick turnaround. So I think that would be a final point too, is just much like how, you know, uh, you know, I can grandma likes to stack her certificates and deposits, you know, different banks, different tenures. I think in the same way, kind of on the alt side too, you know, kind of gauge and it's not an exact date sometimes, but gauge when money maybe could come back and where you can put that elsewhere. So just be aware, like, Hey, check in, it's your money. You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, when we look at investing, I know a lot of people start too late. You know, a lot of people, you know, they don't get in the habit. This is one thing that I told my kids, you know, you're never going to live cheaper in your life than you are right now. Right. So if you're thinking in your mindset that you're going to wait until you're 52 or sorry, you're 32 to start doing that, or you're going to wait till, you know, you get that next raise or things are starting to go better. If you're waiting for that, you, you've got the wrong mentality. I mean, I get it. You know, you, our first jobs, I mean, we were barely making enough to survive, but also saving 5% of survival mode is no different than saving 5% of millionaire mode. It's just the number looks different. It's the habit that you get into. What are some of the things that people should look at as far as how to really start to build that nest egg if they're starting a little late so that they can do the investments? And at what point should they really look at, I've got enough that I should get started and all I think it's always a good time at all. So I think even if, you know, one would not be classified as a saver, as life has played out, there's probably a decent chance that at some point in one's career, say, even if you're 32 year old, you might have 20 or 30 K stacked in some four, you know, 401k, probably a rollover IRA, you know, that's enough to be dangerous, even if it's just one or two investments here. So that's one way to go about it. The other one, and there's my favorite, you know, a book, Die With Zero, and it was so late. It was funny. I was on a call last night with the group and uh, they're like, what's your favorite book? And I just like, oh, I wasn't at home. And I'm like, I can say rich dad, poor dad, but everybody says that, you know, because we were talking about earlier in the day, but I, the concept of die with zero is, you know, folks get to a certain point and they think they're not going to have enough for retirement. So they have a million dollars 
and they go skydiving, but then next year they're, they can't go skydiving and then something else and they can't do it. And then, you know, they're 80 and that one, and they did all the stuff they wanted to do, but not as many times as they wanted to. And they're 80 years old and that million has magically turned into, you know, maybe 2 million, let's say even if with stocks or bonds or three or four or five with alts. So, you know, the point here is that you got to get to that million. So you have to start contributing. So I think, especially for folks on the call that I'll say has a legitimate trade, a doctor, something that is high in demand where you can pull in and out, or let's say cybersecurity, if you're working for a pension system or the military and you have a few years to go, uh, when you kind of have that surety, when you can kind of tap in at any time to work, I don't want to say worst case, but kind of on an hourly perspective or a project perspective, that's a huge advantage. So if that is your avatar, I would get really serious about putting some money away. Because even if you're a little short, you're basically an essential business. You're an essential employee. If that's not your go, if you're you know very much the entrepreneurial, you like having you know sweat equity and such, and that's the way you play it out. Is you know to your point. You know, there's an inflection point, especially if you're big nuts or every like three or five years when you get paid out, you know, if you recently had an exit, you know, take care of the house, take care of the college tuition, and then, you know, make it so even if it's, you know, 20 or $100 a week, just set it and forget it. I mean, you know, literally a coffee or a salad feels like it costs that much these days. And frankly, we might get there pretty soon. So I don't know what salad you're doing for 200 a pop, but uh, I'm sure it's got kale in it. It's with the, it's, there's a lot of kale with a little bit of gold mixed into it, I was yeah. told. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan, what advice have you got for people that you learned on Wall Street that people don't realize can be super beneficial? I mean, we've just talked about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? What is the advice that you can give them that says, hey, this is what Wall Street does that you can do too and you should? Yeah, absolutely. So, I think it's recognizing your network. I mean, half of Wall Street is people knowing people to move more money to a certain place. And guess what? There's, we, we joked a little bit on the marketing side, but there is a fair number of fees that go into this. So, you know, same way I've met a fair number of folks that say, hey, I, you know, people look up to me, to my opinion. And I say, well, have you heard of an SPV or a fund of funds? And they say, no. I said, well, you know, if you had simple numbers here, you know, you have 10 of your buddies at 100K and you do the legwork, you know, many sponsors in very simple terms have an A share and a B share. And there's probably a delta in the middle. And this is all legal, all above board that for your time and efforts, you can take advantage of those two share classes. So, you know, that's one thing that I'd say, I, I think it's just really to to take advantage of your network. And then at the same time, you know, legitimately read the, the small print. My advice to any investor, especially a novice is, you know, I'm going to hand you a hundred dollars invest on January 1st, 2024. How does that look? If everything plays out as it's supposed to, if it doesn't, at what point is my hundred in danger? At what point is this X percent? And, you know, and if people like benchmarks say, well, you know, with these certain fees, what is it going to take for you to even hit the benchmark? you know, versus me investing in the spiders or the cues. So it's, I, and if folks can't, I would say, so it's more on the alt side, my advice for different sponsors, that's a very elementary question that I think it's very wise to be able to answer is on a net basis based on you or more so you're in a state that has state income tax or otherwise, here's what your net is going to be. And then kind of work backwards from there. And uh, once you are actively investing passively, you know, it's a bit of an oxymoron, but Think about what bucket of money is going to be best for each type of investment. Yeah. 
You know, Dan, this has just been a lot of information and it's obvious through the conversation of your wealth of knowledge. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more or drill down a little bit or have questions for you, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so LinkedIn is the best. No surprise, there's not too many Dan Krasinowski's uh, in Austin, Texas. If you can spell it correctly, yeah, that, that's a bonus point right there. But no, I actually do. I do check my LinkedIn and, you know, please share that, hey, you know, Dan and Shannon had a great discussion and or here's what I'm interested in. Because I'm sure like you, you do get a fair amount of incoming and emails just to Zoom these days. But no, I do take the email seriously. I'm sorry, the LinkedIn, the the one-on-one seriously and very open to have a one-on-one with folks. So I appreciate you and your audience here. Yeah. Well, guys, hopefully you got as much value out of this as I did. You know, it's funny, half the reason I do these podcasts is so that I get to learn and not sound stupid while I do it because a lot of the questions I've asked were for me. But Dan, I want to thank you again for coming on. Guys, if you want more information about Dan, his contact information is going to be in the show notes. You can also reach out to us at shannonrobnet.com. And as always, guys, be sure and subscribe and like the channel. You're going to get more content like this, and you will be up to date on when that comes out. Once again, guys, thanks for joining us here on the Real Estate Rundown. We hope you have a fabulous week with your investing future. Thanks for listening. I hope you found tons of value in this show. It would help us a lot if you could rate and leave us a five-star review as we continue our mission to help others just like you in their real estate journey. Thank you, and we'll catch you on the next episode of RobNet's Real Estate Rundown.